Hey everybody, I'm so excited to finally get Vivek. He is the director of growth at Wave. You know, I've been trying to get him. I know, super, super busy guy. How's it going, Vivek? How are things with you this morning? Uh, Ramli, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I know, I know I haven't been um, <laughs> as reactive as I should have been. But yeah, thank you. It's my pleasure to be on your show. And it's a great show. You've got some of my favorite people on the show. And I'm, I'm, a, I'm a listener myself. Uh, and, and you're doing a great job there. Yeah, so thank you for having me here and it's my pleasure. I really do appreciate you. I, you know, we've chatted a few times already before recording this. I'm really excited. You have so much to talk about. I'm like every time we talk, I learn something new about growth from you. Before we jump right in, for my listeners who might not know, you're you've been working at Wave. What is Wave? Can you like give like an elevator pitch of what Wave does? Yeah, I mean, I I'd be more than happy to advocate for Wave. So <laughs> Uh, Wave is a fintech company. It's a technology company. Consider Wave as the financial system of record for, say, small businesses. When I say small businesses, like super small businesses, micro businesses, like under, I don't know, under 10 employees, Mm. uh, you know, which is a huge, huge market in the States and also here in Canada. So it allows, like Wave allows our small business owners to do their accounting, invoicing, uh, actually even get paid on invoicing through our wave payments rails. Uh, and also, yeah, wave payroll takes care of their payroll. Uh, we just launched a fantastic product, which is just, you know, there's so much heat in the market for that, uh, which is a more like a banking product, uh, not oh. a banking. It's a debit card, it's a card for small business owners. Interesting. It's very interesting because um, the world has enough and more cards you know, that the idea is not to launch another card that small business owners can get confused with. The idea is to, you use the Wave Money card, you're going to have the entire workflow automated. Oh. You use the card for, say, in Starbucks, say you are buying inventory or paying up an invoice or whatever, right? That expense just get directly goes into and get categorized in your accounting. Mm. And that already makes yourself tax ready. So imagine oh. you having not to lift your finger and this, this whole process gets automated. So, so yeah, we are super excited overall. Yeah, and that's, that's Wave. And um, we got acquired. I don't know uh, if you know this. I'm sure you know it. But we got acquired by uh, H&R Block, one of the largest uh, exits here in Canada uh, last year. Yeah, and we are a product-led company. Like, you know, that's one of the reasons why I'm I'm at Wave. Um, very, very, very product-driven company. Huge distribution potential. You know, amazing critical mass. Something like, I would say, similar to, you know, not exactly similar, but like along the lines of uh, Shopify critical mass. Right. So yeah, it's a very exciting, exciting place for people to do product-led things. Mm. You mentioned Shopify there. You know, you also worked at Growth at Shopify Plus. I believe when you came into Shopify, the growth team was kind of established. But for Wave, were you the first growth person to hire essentially? And then speaking of that, how did that role get developed by the leadership team? You really talked about how a lot of growth teams fail because, you know, executive hired this growth guy who's going to do magical things and make make the magic. But they actually have a misconception about growth. But can you talk a little bit about that? How you became the director of growth at Wave? Oh yeah, sure. I was uh, I was at Shopify for a while, and we'll get to that in a bit. But in in general, like I was um, 
you know, growth already had a few versions of the growth team. So, you know, growth as an idea wasn't new to Wave. Mm. So think about growth. Uh, it's a growth could exist in two different models in a tech company. You could have a functional model or you could have an independent model. A functional model is something that's headed by the head of a function. Example, you know, a growth team could be headed by a VP marketing or a VP product. Depending on who heads growth uh, in a functional model, you're going to see the lineup of projects aligned to that specific function. Mm. Like when a VP marketing heads growth, you're going to see a whole bunch of acquisition projects. And if a VP product heads growth, you're going to see a lot of in-app experiments, etc. You know, the challenge with the functional model has always been, you know, how do you balance like growth initiatives versus non-growth initiatives? Right. Right. And that's a big challenge. It's not one has to run really fast. One has to just be a lot more balanced and steady thinking, long-term thinking, etc. So how do you balance that, right? There are some very successful companies that go with the functional model. You know, especially when you have hit like product market fit, it totally makes sense. Like, and, and like to a deep level, you totally should be a functional model. And then there's this independent model where, as the name suggests, it's truly independent. Like you don't, like the head of growth reports into someone in the, the exec team and they have their own mandate, truly accountable for certain specific metrics. Right. And yeah, projects could vary from all the way from acquisition to activation to mm. even like retention. Box is an example there, like for retention specifically. But yeah, so, so Wave had a few versions of functional models. Interesting. And then Paul Marshall, the CEO of Wave, he reached out to me. Uh, we, we worked together in the past at uh, one of my previous jobs. He reached out to me asking, um, you know, I'm, this is an idea that I'm floating around I'm, and I feel there's a need for an independent growth. He, he didn't put it in these models, but like his idea was he had a vision for a growth team driving certain aspects of the business and being truly accountable for certain monetization metrics, which is not something that was coming to fruition through the existing product or the marketing teams. Right. So he asked me if this is something that I want to jump on. And I had everything going for me at Shopify. Like there was nothing that I love Shopify. There were three reasons why I took up Wave. Uh, one is um, the market in which we operate, like, like the, the payment space, the, how hot and exciting it is. Mm. And, and then where Wave is, and how Wave is positioned to, to actually like, not just even like be in the space, but actually lead the space. There's right. so many uh, unique advantages that we have that most companies don't. And the way we are positioned to actually win in that market, that was big. Well, the third reason was truly like, you know, Paul Marshall. And also when I met the rest of the executive team, my observ initial observation, and I, that still stands true even today, was I've not come across an E-team whose EQ is at this level. Mm. So this team truly, truly cares. So yeah, like these three factors, mainly like that was a driving force. Uh, say if there was another company that had the first two advantages as Wave, and if there was no E-team that's equivalent to what our E-team is, I probably would have not taken it up. So yeah, so in the independent model, I was the first growth person, and then I had to like build the function up from, from the ground. 
That's really fascinating. You talked about EQ. And when we chatted, you, you said how you know, a lot of growth teams fail because they fail to manage up to the executive team. What does that look like at Wave? You know, now that you're hired, how did you make sure that Paul and the rest of the executive team actually know what you're doing? And here's your plan. Like, let's talk a little bit about that managing upstream piece. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a big piece of whether, you know, growth is going to be successful in a business or not. Like, you need a team that has a vision for, for this team. Mm. So, meaning you can't operate with, constantly be operating with a sense of doubt. Right. That if the E-team even trusts what this growth as a function is, right? That's one. And so, which means the E-team definitely needs a vision. Mm. And moving on, and that alone gives you the buy-in for, for a lot of things. And the aspect that you as a growth lead, a growth leader, has to manage really well is bring about some predictability to the whole process, right? We all know growth is all about experimentation and all that at a tactical level. But you can't just, we are not an R&D team, right? Like we are not like a research lab that sits within a pharma company. Right, like you need to, you need to show results, and you need to show results in a predictable way. Right. How you establish that predictability for the E team, that gives them a lot of comfort in trusting this growth team even more. So yeah, I, I think I think the bottom line is you need to work the growth. Growth as a function does well in companies where the E team already has a vision and and the buy-in. However. That's not the only two criteria. It also uh, matters for the growth team to set the right expectations, manage the right expectations, and bring in predictability to the process. Mm. You talked about predictability. What does that look like at Wave? Like, how do you make sure that you know you're making sure that stuff that you're presenting up to Paul, it's you know, it's something that he expects or something that it's it's predictable. Predictability comes in two ways. One is the metric accountability. And the second is the process of getting there, right? The process involves how we collaborate. What is our interaction model with the rest of the org? What is the interaction model even within the team? How do we manage, I don't know, projects? Some are going to be in discovery. Some are going to be in flight, in motion. So there's a huge project management component to that. But also, the process also involves the cross-team collaboration, right? Mm. How do you work with DG? How do you work with, uh, with a product organization? How do you work with data? Right. How do you work with um, engineering, for instance? Mm. So these are all big friction points, which you could potentially turn into uh, points of delight and opportunities. Interesting. And the more you, you attack that, the more you work on that, along with working on having proper, predictable, accountable metric. I think that alone brings brings about the kind of comfort that the E-team would require. Mm. You talked quite a bit about that metric. Do you own revenue goals? Like, what is that metric that you're accountable to the Wave executive team? Yeah, good question. <laughs> so at Wave, at Wave, the growth team owns the onboarding. Um, mm. And onboarding, the, the, the length and breadth of onboarding is... You know, it's it's vast and deep. So what we are accountable for is um, the activation. Uh, and, and within Wave, I don't know if I was influenced by something I read or I just made it up, I'm not sure. 
we call it FAE, First Activation Event. And that's, that's what we are accountable for uh, as, as a growth team. Mm. Let's talk about that because, you know, activation is such, so much misconception about that. People say, oh, just get them to the aha moment and, you know, they're activated. In our conversation, you know, you say that that's wrong. <laughs> Essentially, what is FAE and why is the aha moment not enough to define somebody as activated? I mean, FAE is going to be an aha moment of sort. Yeah. But that need not be the first aha moment for the user. Mm. There could be a string of aha moments leading up to FAE. End of the day, that's a job, right? So when you, when you go back to like what even onboarding is supposed to do, like, you know, so the mission is to identify, uh, mission of onboarding is to identify valuable customers upfront, guide them to value faster and set them up for success, right? So when I got started on onboarding, the questions I had in my head were, okay, you know, we all agree that growth should own onboarding and now growth will work on onboarding. Mm. Two months later, how do I know that we have improved onboarding? That's a good question. How do I believe myself? And also, how do I communicate to the rest of the org? That, mm. hey guys, you know what? We've actually improved onboarding. Right. Right. And that's what activation is, right? And this is where activation comes in. Like, and that's a very, this is not a novel, uh, new concept. All companies just work this way. But the way we think about activation is it's a retention lever. Mm. And it has to be very rooted in engagement. It has to be engagement focused. And it has to be time bound. And also clearly indicate that a business process is in the forming. Right. So if an activation event kind of encompasses all of these things, it being a retention lever, it being super rooted in engagement and it's time bound and indicates that a process is forming like a, for, for our users or habit is getting formed and, and there's, there's evidences of that. And yeah, a combination of all these things make up for a, f- a first activation event. Does that sound too complex? No. <laughs> what is that exactly? You know, maybe you can't go into the specific details. I can, give, I can give you some examples. Okay, yeah, let's, let's do that. Yeah. So think about, for instance, Zoom or, or Trello. So Zoom from, I'm not sure if they still have that word. Now it's a different word. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I'm sure the, the, the metrics are all out of the whack right now. So I don't know if this, they still have that. So let's, let's stick with Trello for a minute. So Trello had this activation metric as 4 and 28. They call it 4 and 28. Uh, what that meant was four pieces of content created within 28 days. Mm. What that means is a user that goes through that path, a user that they sign up, that creates four pieces of content within 28 days is going to retain much, much, much better than someone who does not go through that path. Right. So what that means is as Trello user, you're going to have collaborators, you're going to have consumers of the Trello cards, right? For instance, my team creates the the Trello cards and I, I review them, right? Which means I'm not creating content. I'm just being a consumer of that content. Mm. That's not what they count as 4 and 28. So you need to have four pieces of content created, right? And that matters for them. So does that mean all of Trello's paying customers are going to be 4 and 28? Absolutely not. Right. 
but the ones that go through that are going to have, when you look at a retention curve over like 12 months or two years and the lifetime value, it's going to be much, much, much larger than what it is for someone who does not go through that path. Mm. So the job of the activation team or, or the onboarding team is to figure out how do we organically get users to 4 and 28? Right. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. I understand that. That way we have you know similar metrics for each line of business. Ah, oh, interesting. Uh, so you know, Wave is fascinating that way. Wave, have, Wave has multiple lines of businesses. We right. have invoicing, invoicing payments, and then we have accounting, we have payroll. So each line of business or each product has its own FAE. Mm. Are they all kind of tied together? You're trying to like cross-sell the products? Like for example, I sign up for invoicing and you're trying to sell me on the payments because that's how I become a paid customer. So is the FAE for invoicing kind of somewhat related to the FAE for payments? Great question. Uh, it's a question that came up internally a lot. So invoicing and payments, I look at them together um, mm. because it's not even an upgrade situation. It's a natural path. Yeah, it is. It's part of your flow, right? You mm. send an invoice and you want to collect payments on that invoice. And the right way to do, and that's actually closing the loop on a transaction. Yeah. Right? And that's how a business owner generates value, financial value for their own business. So like keeping payments as, just because we built it out as a separate product, it doesn't have to be looked at that way from a metric perspective. So way invoicing and payments have a unified FAE. Yes. Uh That makes sense. In terms of figuring out that FAE for thing, you know, last time we chatted, you showed me, you know, you looked at retention curves and you looked at correlation. How, how did you figure that? Out? You know, if you had an advice for people, I need to figure out what is my first activation event for my users. How can I do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. I know this was two months of work. <laughs> two months of work. Wow. How to long story short it. Well, let me try. Uh, I would encourage people to come and talk to me. <laughs> that would be a lot easier, uh, simpler answer. But it goes back to the idea of who are you serving? Who's your ideal uh, customer yeah. profile? What does that look like? And then like, you need to model them after your most successful customers who are going to be rooted in... in to consider them the most retained customers, right? right. And that truly really matters. So... You got to build out your FAE, derive your FAE based off of who your retained customers, mm. right? Because you're, all you're doing is if activation is a retention lever, then you need to model activation after retention. So yes. I would say the starting point is who retains the most is what mm. should be the first question that you're asking. And within that, you're going to have like segment level retention uh, etc. So, so yeah, pick a segment, pick a target, see who retains the most, and then work backwards to activation. And mm. there's going to be a lot of qualitative and quantitative exercises that you need to go through. Uh, quantitative exercises will involve a lot of, you know, or some level of statistical analysis, correlation, etc. And then your a qualitative would actually involve talking to customers, deep discovery overall. So yeah. That makes sense. So, you know, you're working on figuring out this FAE for, for two months. 
how did you get the rest of the teams bought in and the executive team now that you're like, oh, guys, we need to focus all of our energy, even the dimension on this, this concept? Did they buy in really quickly or did you have to, you know, um, really sell the idea? It wasn't a lot of uh, upsell, really. Like, it wasn't a uphill climb. It was mm. pretty straightforward. Again, like, this is where predictability comes in. The process was laid right. out up front. And we're actually making ourselves accountable for a metric that's much deeper in the product, much deeper in user behavior, much deeper in engagement. And we're also making demand gen at many levels accountable for that. Yeah, I heard. Yeah. So, yeah, like, you know, we're doing the right thing is something that the E-team always understood. And that already provided a whole bunch of trust. Uh, With that, the buy-in was more around the thing that needed explaining or evangelizing across the org was, okay, this looks like a cool model. How do you operationalize this? Mm. Like who is going to own what? Then now that onboarding owns FAE, what should the product team start thinking about? Yeah. They be focused on. And, and how should the work of demand gen acquisition change? Uh, based off of this, right? So it was a cultural change that that just happened at Wave, and I'm I'm so blessed to have like you know an amazing partner in DG, for instance, uh, and also on on the product side. So yeah, so I, I I felt it was more around how do we operationalize this framework of FAE rather than is FAE good or not? Interesting. Can you talk a little bit about that? How has like demand gen work change and how has the product team work changed now that they've they've embraced this FAE framework? Yeah, sure. So like I said, I have a great partner in Demandion, Sarah. Sarah. Yeah, she was on the show. She's great. (laughs) Yeah. So we, it was more like a decision that there was no selling there. You know, the moment I presented this to her and the team, like they felt like, oh yeah, totally makes sense. So it actually gave them a lot of relief that they are now held accountable for not just like any random signup, but like yeah. something that's super deep rooted in the product, yeah. deep rooted in the user behavior. And that gave them a lot of comfort that they're optimizing for the right things. Mm. I mean, they may have to change a lot of tactics, right? They, they need to change a lot of measurement frameworks. They need to switch up a lot of campaigns. They need to rethink a lot of their strategies over. But because it was the right thing to do, I think that was, that was an easy buying, right? Like, so we talked about, again, like there's something that I really wanted to call out. Uh, we talked about like misconceptions around growth, in, right. right? Most DG teams, most DG teams are not even partially accountable for activation. They're not. <laughs> yeah, they're not. So, you know, which means retention is not something that most acquisition teams get. Yeah. And you keep creating a lot of to, uh, top of the funnel. And then that funnel keeps leaking as you go down, right? And that's a common scene here, right? Mm. And, and, and this is why product-led is becoming a thing. And this is why it becomes more important to keep DG teams accountable for, at least partially accountable for uh, activation. Right. So yeah, like I feel when you, when you look, go back and look at the amount of the dollar, I used to lead DG teams before. Mm. or moving here and and you know one of the challenges or frustrations i had then was we're spending a lot of money to acquire 60% of good users 
or 50% of good users and remaining absolute garbage. And that's a problem, right? Like you, you look at like the resources being wasted in there and not taking a deeper look into your activation and retention and how you know, the users you acquire, how they use the product, not being considered in even how you acquire. Right. Um, it's a big problem. So thankfully at Wave, like I said, it works out really well. We don't have that challenge because I think there's clear agreement. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, this, what this framework established was clear accountability across DG creates not just signups, but qualified signups, mm-hmm. right? And then onboarding team, the growth team is responsible for FAEs, meaning the signups that come through is our job to activate them more. Right. Okay. Right. And then the, the product teams from there on, in a month, we create these many activated users how many of them will end up being adopted or successful over the next six months? Oh. So just because you created an FAE doesn't mean there's no drop-off post-FAE. You right. still are going to see drop-offs. There's still huge opportunities of optimization and monetization post-FAE. Yeah. And especially in, a, in, a, in an ecosystem-like situation at Wave where you could cross-sell so many more products and you know, bundle uh, a lot more products, it's super interesting. Mm. I like how that kind of covers the whole funnel, essentially, those three teams, right? Like you got, you got that kind of divvied up really nicely. Yeah, it works out really well. Like there's clear metric accountability for each team. And when we're, when we're in a meeting, we clearly know who's responsible for what and right. who has the right takeaways and yeah, et cetera. How often do you guys meet? I'm curious, like, do you guys meet on a weekly basis to review the metrics or a monthly basis? As often as a, like every week, I guess. We don't review the framework every week, obviously, but metrics get looked at all the time. Mm. I don't think there's a time and place, place for that. I'm struggling to answer this question. <laughs> no, that's good. I want to talk about your onboarding experience in Shiftgear, talking about that. I got to say, it's, you know, it's obviously well taught out. It's probably one of the best onboarding experiences I've seen and gone through. Can you talk a little bit about how that came together? You talked about how you know there was a product team that worked on it before, but there's a lot of changes that has happened. What kind of changes and experiments have you kind of implemented and taken on to the live onboarding experience now? Yeah, there's been a lot of changes. First of all, thank you that you know my team would be very happy to hear that <laughs> you found our onboarding one of the one of the better ones. There's a lot more work to do for us, but yeah, it's kind of significantly different from. Yeah, there's been a significant change compared to like, I don't know, eight, nine months ago. Mm. So now there's clear delineation of which product that a user has come to use. What is their immediate need? Right. So there's a big difference uh, here. Like immediate need may not be your long-term need. Mm. Your needs change. But when you think about how we acquire customers, we don't acquire customers for a financial system of record, right? (laughs) We don't have a keyword that says, here's your financial system of record. People who search for a financial system of record should find Wave. That's not how we go to market, right? We go to market by each product. We go to market, we acquire users for invoicing. We acquire users for payroll. We acquire users for accounting, right? And and when that's happening at the acquisition level, that needs to happen in onboarding too, which is Mm. you need to clearly delineate who's come to do what. And that's the first step. That's an area where we saw in the earlier model, a lot of muddiness. 
Right. We waited for the users to take their first few actions to figure out, oh, this is what they've come to do versus even like delineating why are they here? Mm. Like upfront. Right. I want to kind of dig into that because this is the one thing that I really loved about the onboarding experience is the second step to to the process, to the onboarding sign up process. You're asked a question, you know, what did you sign up for Wave? You know, you have the option send professional invoices, manager, accounting run, effortless payroll. And then I actually signed up four times to check, you know, this is what it looks like. And you said, you sent me to a different experience to the product and also sent me different emails based on what I chose, which is like, yes, this is how it should be done. I get it. Like for people who might not understand, why is this so important? Like you said, delineate the reason why people sign up right at like upfront as, as soon as you can, because especially at the user onboarding experience. Yeah, it's <laughs> you totally screwed our metrics. You signed up four times. Sorry, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I was going to do that, but I was really curious. I'm, I'm joking. So it's, we, we are a free product for the, for the most part. So uh, yeah, you can do whatever you want. Just use our invoicing and payments product. I would be very thankful. But yeah, to, to answer the question, I think it just goes back to this is where acquisition like DG and growth needs to work really closely together. If DG is going to market in a certain way, if DG is actually acquiring customers you know, in a certain way, that needs to reflect in, in the onboarding. That's number one. We cannot have two different approaches to this. And that's one. And the next is, I talked about immediate need versus long-term need, right? Mm. What we've understood was one of the big learnings, which one of the learnings that actually drove us to take that approach of delineating users by product upfront. Users that come to Wave generally tend to gain trust on one product and then start navigating into the next one. Right. And when users go to their next product, when our users use more than one of our Wave products, they get a lot more value from Wave than they normally would. And we get a lot more value from them you know, when they were just instead of, uh, yeah, in a situation where they're just using one product. Right. So while that is true, meaning there's a life cycle ecosystem effect that's there, the key thing to consider is, do they come in with all these bundle of needs, cluster of needs in their head? They don't, right? And that the immediate need is, which is the product that they need to use where they can solve the most immediate pain? Right. And then start moving around, then start branching out within Wave. Mm. Right? And understanding that was very important. And just the function of you having to use different products, like for instance, like to your point where the second screen asked, depending on which product you chose to work in, we asked very different questions. Yeah, I noticed that. That's because each product has its own need, right? Mm. When you're using invoicing, you come to do invoicing. And that means we need to know a little more about your invoicing behavior, your business process around invoicing. And that could be different from your payroll needs. That could be different from an accounting needs. Mm-hmm. So, so it was very important that it's just, I would say, more logical an approach rather than it being too scientific. Mm. It's just users come here looking to solve a pain point. And we cannot solve their pain point if we don't know enough about them. And here, there's a situation where the pain point could vary depending on which product you choose. Therefore, what we learn about you will also change. That's it. Mm. 
Yeah, that makes sense. I hope that's something that a lot more product does is, you know, you're really, I love how you answered that. You really focus on the pain point of the user, you know, instead of like, oh, we can customize this experience. Now we can help them a little bit better. The other thing I really loved is when I started going through the process, I uploaded my logo uh, and right away I saw what my invoice would look like with Wave, which is like, oh, that's actually much better looking than what I'm sending right now. You know, can you talk a little bit about how that validate? When we chatted earlier, you said that that was there before, but you were talking about validating if that's still needed to help people get to that FAA uh, moment. But yeah. Yeah, so <laughs> interesting. So interesting, you you called that out. We, we talked about it earlier too. So I think I can't take, like me or my team cannot take credit for you know, that specific piece in the workflow, it was already there. And, you know, the product team has put in a lot of thought in there. The only thing we did was there were a lot of questions around how is it actually helping, right? Like providing that visual reminder or like a visual assurance, how does that even help, right? So should it be in the flow or should it not be in the flow, right? Mm -hmm. In your path to FAE, should should it even be there or not? Because this is... Whether you did this or not, you could still be an FAE, right? You could still get to the, the point of FAE. And, and here's the thing about metrics, right? And data in general. The data will tell you, inform you a lot about the what and the, and the how, mm. right? The data is not going to tell you why. Right. So, so this is a piece that we validated by actually talking to a whole bunch of customers during yeah. our, deep dive of, uh, our deep dive and customer discovery where you know, think about who we are working with, small businesses. Some of them don't even have an actual website, right? But they still work with a lot of their customers, a lot of customers, and they want to look professional, Mm. right? Actually, even providing this visual assurance makes them look, they they didn't come looking for, oh, am I going to look that professional? In their mind, they want to send, send out an invoice. Yeah. But when they actually see it happen, is that what my customer is going to see? Yeah. Wow, this is great. Like this makes, you know, looks very professional. It's beautiful. Also, it's very professional. That gives them a lot of confidence that this is a good product, first of all. Mm. Something that I can trust and go with. So it's more of a point of delight, an aha moment. Yeah, it's got nothing to do with, with the metric itself. Again, like these are things where you need to dive deep to understand Metrics is very one-dimensional. Yeah, uh, you need to consider all other uh, dimensions. Oh, that's great! Uh, totally, I I had that aha moment too when I saw that. It's like I also love how you picked out the brand color right from the logo. Like I didn't have to, you know, like oh, what's your hex code for your brand color? No, you didn't. I didn't need to plug in any of that. I just picked it up right away. I love, I love that. I'm piece. glad. I'm glad. I'm glad uh, you found value there. <laughs> The other thing that I noticed is I actually signed up for Wave for my podcast for my sponsors now. So that I switched over all my invoicing to Wave. That was a couple of months ago. And you know, yesterday I signed up again using to check it out, check out the onboarding. And I noticed some things changed. It was like, oh, this is new, right? Like there was a four-step process when I was signed up for invoicing. And then there was, congrats, you've uh, set up your invoicing, put in your email you know, I'm curious what brought about this change. Instead of like, I remember people just dropping them in into like a, a get started page or something like that. Now there's a clear step process to actually getting people before they 
get into the actual product? Yeah, I think the, the again, like I don't want to get into too much of tactics here, but the idea is you know, what you experience is actually a live experiment. Oh, so so yeah, we right now are running. I have been running an experiment for a long time now. So yeah, what you've experienced is an ex- experiment in itself. That said, so users like guidance. Guidance is a big part of onboarding philosophies, right? Like guidance is a is a key principle, core principle of of onboarding in general. But does that work with everyone? Probably not. Probably does. Mm. Who knows, right? This is why we experiment. So we ran an experiment initially, I can't remember, maybe late last year or early this year. All the users going through a guided path. You know, this, this level of guidance where here's your step one, here's your step two, here's your step three and four, five, right? When I put you through a list of steps, you naturally are going to take those steps. You're going to see yeah. fewer people dropping off, right? The interesting thing is not everyone needs this level of guidance. And in fact, there are some, some users, some segment of users who are going to want to explore more before they go, go down a guided path, mm. right? So as part of experimentation, we've learned that guidance does not work for everyone. Right. And we've scaled back guidance for a certain set of users. And what you've experienced is you know, someone who wants guidance. Right. So there's a way that we identify whether you want guidance or not. Mm. Uh, and then we, we put you through that. I might be getting into the weeds here, but I'm really curious how you figure out who wants a guidance or not. Is that you know based on how quickly they answered the questions, or like how how do you figure that piece out whether they want more guidance or not? Depending on how you answer those questions. Oh, okay, all right, it's good to know. The last question I'm curious about is once somebody's like actively using one of your products, let's say invoicing or payments, how do you get them to like adopt the other products? I'm guessing that's more of the product team now where they're actively trying to increase the average revenue per user in that piece. So the product teams go deeper. Mm. The growth team goes wider. Right. right. And, and that's a good model, mental model to think, you know, go with. The product teams think about the long, have a long-term view of the customer, long-term view of, you know, the user base. And so they build features, functionalities that serve users long-term. So for them to continue retained past FAE in that product, that's where the product teams put a lot of focus. Mm. The cross-product movement and, you know, and upselling and cross-selling comes under this unit called Lifecycle, which, which growth owns. Like it's still under... under. Oh. So... Right now, we haven't made a lot of progress there. It's still in the, in the very early phases, but we already see a very strong organic behavior that exists. Like our baseline is super strong on users, like I said, like trusting one product and moving on to the next one. What we need to do is how do we accentuate the organic path that already exists? Yeah. And what matters to them in that path and who it matters to, et cetera. And those are pieces that we are, we are working on right now. But yeah, so the larger monetization, like cross-product monetization, things like that, it comes under lifecycle, as I'm sure Freed from the former Slack. He talks about that a lot, but, but yeah. Interesting. That's good to know. I might have to get you on the podcast a year from now to talk about lifecycle. <laughs> <laughs> Once you wrote more stuff on that. I'm sure you'll probably find another, like invent another framework for that piece. Interesting. Frameworks give the, like, the team you work with, the cross-functional teams and also the, the exec teams, a lot of comfort. Mm. 
capabilities, yeah. right? These frameworks are just guiding tools. Yeah, that's totally true. I want to start wrapping up and ask this one question I love asking. You know, if you had one or two pieces of advice for growth teams, what would be that piece of advice? Maybe in a similar situation where whether that's their executive team supports them or, or not, like what would be those two pieces of advice? Yeah, so <laughs> I have a long way to go before I give advice. <laughs> so I'm not going to say anything new that, say, uh, Fareed or Casey Winners or Jeff Chang, uh, Sean Close kind of guys haven't said. Or, yeah. So, yeah, I'm not going to say, uh, I'm not going to break any paths here, on, especially on advice. There's enough and more on the internet. But I'm just going to remind people of some, some basics. Yeah. Which would be around focus on retention and manage your expectations well, like especially upstream. Set clear expectations and manage them really well, especially with, your, with the team that manages you. And don't focus too much on like the, the what and the how, but spend a lot of time on why. Mm-hmm. Why this exists? Why are we measuring this? So I have a friend, friend at Wave. I'm sure you probably know him, uh, David Axler. He heads our payroll and uh, invoicing payments lines of businesses. He once said a good leader, the, the difference between a good leader and a good manager is a manager optimizes for the, for the metrics given to them. Right. A leader creates their own metrics. <laughs> so, and, I, and that stuck with me. And, and I feel, um, you know, you, when you focus more on, on why we are doing certain things, you may not even feel compelled to optimize for the metrics that the world has given you. Mm. you. You will start creating your own frameworks and metrics that you will, you will want to actually build for because that's the right thing for the business. That's the right thing for your users. Right. So focus on that a lot more. And if anything, like this question, you know, I would kind of pivot this question to more around what is the advice for the executive teams who are looking at installing or running, managing growth teams? Yeah. Let's just level set on the idea that acquisition is only a piece of growth. Mm. Let's just not over-index on performance marketing and like acquisition-related growth activities and, and settle down there, right? There's a lot of wastage that happens down funnel. Let's focus on that. Let's focus on retention. Let's focus on users that there's no point in having so many top-of-the-funnel users and then not having... A sl- like only having a sliver of them at the very bottom of the funnel, right? The exec teams need to think, expand their scope of thinking around that thought, which is the whole idea and, and the, the premise of product-led, I guess. But yeah, I just want to reinstate that here. No, th- those are good points that people need to think about. One final question is, you know, people wanted to reach out, ask more questions from you. Where can they find you online? <laughs> uh, LinkedIn. Most active, I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm a lot active on LinkedIn. Not hard to find me on LinkedIn. And, and um, Vivek at waveapps.com is my email. And also not super active on Twitter, but sure, Twitter too. <laughs> I'll link it all, man. I'll link uh, the, your LinkedIn and, and your, your Twitter if you want to promote that. I'm more than happy to um, take questions and have discussions. And if people want to find out more about Wave, they're like looking for invoicing. Where can people find that? Uh, waveapps.com. Yeah, it's super easy to sign up and play around with and start trusting the product and just go for it. I would totally, totally recommend Wave. Yeah, same here. I use Wave too. So 
I 100% recommend Wave. Well, thank you so much for your time, Vivek. I really do appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you, Ramli. Uh, thanks. My pleasure here.